0: Gentlemen, coming to you from New York, New York, it's the Hollywood Godfather Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Gianni Russo, Patrick Piccarelli, and Megan Horan. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Hollywood Godfather Podcast. I think tonight's show is going to be unique in one way. It's going to be an education of legends that I've met through my life.
1: Oh, so and, you can talk
0: about me. Oh, yeah. My movie, oh, my, absolutely. M- numerous times. Oh, yeah. But uh, you don't want to be these guys. They're all dead.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. So and it's just...
0: ironic that both of these guys I'm talking about tonight, and maybe five of them, were all born in 1913. Wow. And two of them happened, happened to be Coens. Hmm. And, um, well, let's just get into it. Yeah. You probably all heard... Or about a Mickey Cohen. Mickey Cohen. I heard stories about this guy all my life, and when I finally got to go to L.A. under the uh, under the uh, guidance of a guy called Tony Accardo in Chicago, mm. uh, I went there in 1959. Uh, well, actually, went a little before. I went to Vegas in '59, but he told me to stop there, and I met people like Johnny Roselli and. Mickey Cohen and uh, Wingy Grover and um, Alan Smiley these names created the not only the underworld in Los Angeles which nobody thought there was uh, but they created and controlled all the unions and established all the unions Hmm. and the one guy that got out there early on in 1939 was Mickey Cohen And he got the attention of the Los Angeles Police Department early on because during that time, he ran the most lucrative bookmaking parlors all through California. And he already amassed several hundreds of thousands of dollars. And one of the guys, and and he was under the uh, jurisdiction control of, you know, Myelansky and Frank Costello and anybody that was out there, and the Chicago Syndicate. Cause they gave him the permission to go mm-hmm.
1: and but there they, were no
0: families per se out there no families no there were no families but you know it's funny because yeah you said that because the los angeles police department actually named the cohen family a cohen family out there really and for years i mean he was in there to the jail this guy for, for 1961 to 72 and the, there was 11 attempts on his life wow and the guy who was the brains behind all of his success and also was his demise was another guy I knew and me being drawn to Italians more than than certain people this guy Jack Dragner. did you ever hear of Jack Dragner? Yes, I did oh, how did you hear that's it? I want to hear that. How did you find out about him?
1: Uh, I was recently reading a book, and I forgot what it was uh he he figured the, uh Predominantly, uh, I'm trying to think of uh, under what conditions. Oh, uh, the book by that retired FBI agent you and I spoke about one day, Joe O'Brien. He headed the, the the Gambino squad. Yep. He had a little bit to do with the uh, uh, Dragna in his early days.
0: That's interesting. Before yeah. he went out to LA.
1: Yeah, it's in fact this FBI agent. Uh, he's he's your age. So he's, okay. he's, he's been around a while. He retired in the early '90s, the FBI. But yeah, yeah, he, he knew him, but we didn't discuss him at length. I just heard the name based on what he told me.
0: Yeah, hmm. and uh, I mean, I I knew the name, and I was enamored by his story early on, and uh, which I thought you know, getting to know him, and uh, I actually met his wife, Lauren Weaver Cohen her alias, you won't believe this, as Simon King, and she was basically a prostitute what? in Hawaii at 14, one of the youngest madams in the world.
1: Oh, my God! And what
0: attracted him him to her, she was as crude as him. She had a mouth on him like a bartender. Oh, my I gosh. mean, really crazy times. And Mickey loved, you know, just being around her because of who she was. And, uh, you know... Um, it was crazy that this was his wife. But describe
1: uh, him f- physically for the listeners.
0: M- Mickey Cohen was only five foot five, hmm. very tough guy, a fighter, a fight. yeah, fighter early on in life, and uh, but ruthless man. I mean, totally ruthless. I mean, he he was arrested so many times. He shot and killed his his business partner, Maxi Sham, who was a, a competitor basically in the bookmaking and and horsing there what's policy? Mm-hmm. and after he shot him he called the police himself
1: oh my god
0: and he said I shot and killed my partner and uh, at a self-defense because Max was a big big guy huh. and what it was so funny and I learned a lot about because I used to you know we used to get together at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel which I'll get into where everybody sat and told stories as they aged on but he shoots his partner calls Los Angeles Police Department. They come, he hands the gun over that he shot him with. And they said to him, This anybody see this? He said, No. You he promised not to do it again? No, no. It was better <laughs> than that. So I mean they brought him in and questioned him and all that. And they couldn't take him to trial because there was no evidence to collaborate if this guy was threatening him and killing him. And not only did they let him go, they gave his gun back.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Which and I the th- LAPD didn't have the squeaky clean,
0: well, clean image that they have today. That was a very corrupt department back. What then. do you mean today? I I always tell people if you want to kill someone, go to L.A. Nobody ever well, gets convicted of so? killing people. Oh, they, in the forty in the forties and fifties, the LAPD was they were organized. Oh, crime. they were all on Mars. Oh, you know they were taking more money down than anybody. Oh. But, but Cohen's
1: no, people and, and his people that he dealt with,
0: it, it, people that worked for him, they were
1: predominantly
0: Jews. Yeah, predominantly uh, Jews. The only, be, the, yeah, the only guy who was in in the background was Jack Dragna. And, and and during his reign, I mean, this guy was a tough guy. And I mean, I mean you know, as as we get into his story. You're not going to believe, and he was he was the first one, as I you know I was a young corrupt guy, just trying to learn this life mm-hmm. and how I would survive and to hear his story is uh, one thing is no witnesses, and as many times I, I people would whisper in my ear and you know uh, go see this guy, go see that guy. It got to be that you know Mr. Gambino and Frank Costello knew, just tell me in my ear what you want and you know I'll do it alone I don't want to be with anybody and that was one of the things that I learned from these old-timers they just do it hmm. and this guy was like a, a wild man and uh, with that you know the they uh, Mickey grew a, as a legend because of you know everybody was afraid of him and John yeah
1: mm-hmm
0: but, you know, and, and he and Johnny Roselli and Alan Smiley went out there to, to form all the unions in the 30s and 40s for the motion picture business, which is still in existence. All those unions are still very active and how they keep the, the peace out there. And that's why anybody like a couple of people went out there, Joe Dentis and different people, the Scouto brothers, they thought they were going to be, be Italian and that we could handle this. Never happened. Because the, the reason, even with people like, you know, um, I should, I'm on some guys I can mention, but uh, major agents and, and all of the studio heads all had an agreement. There'll never be a union strike. There never was.
1: Wow.
0: When you think about this. And that was their insurance policy to open all these, you know, movie studios. And these guys controlled all that. But then they also controlled the prostitution and the loan sharking. Mm. And I mean, those that went along with it because of greed. But uh, Alan Smiley and all these other people, I mean, I, I got to meet them all. And, that, and the one guy that always enamored me was was this one guy that, uh, who actually stole from Capone. I think I mentioned it one time. Oh, yeah. And uh, he, he, yeah, Swifty Morgan. Mm. That was his nickname. And he, he lived in the Beverly Wilshire Hotel. And every month, it was a joke, he'd call up Dorothy uh, in Frank Sinatra's office. Did uh, Frank pay my rent this month? (laughs) (laughs) Knowing that he did, Frank Sinatra took care of this guy until he died.
1: What was this guy? He he was a con man, he was-
0: He was a con man with, with Capone early on, and then went out to Vegas, I mean out to Vegas, well, he's been to Vegas, been everywhere. Out to and, L.A. But out to L.A. And uh, just they made him a figurehead, you know, be around Smiley, be around Johnny Roselli. And he held court every day at, at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel. And for the people who don't know where that is, this is on Wilshire Boulevard and Cannon Drive, which became Rodeo Drive and all of that. And I mean, the years I'm talking about, the, 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 the Wilshire, Beverly Wilshire Hotel. Um, Warren Beatty lived there. Mm. I mean, it was like the place. And it was right in the heart of town. Not like the Beverly Hills Hotel is, you know, a half a mile up on Sunset Boulevard. And the Bel Air Hotel is like three miles away in Bel Air. This was a hotel that people came, hung out. A lot of mob guys always hung out there. It was like the Waldorf Astoria of the West Coast. Right. But, I mean, we would go there and uh, just listen to these guys vent and i mean we're talking about major major guys and like i said mickey had 11 attempts on his life wow and the last one that really and he didn't know who it was and it was it was funny because here he's doing all these things and he's answering and with jack draga at least once or twice a week the guy I wanted to kill him and that was the guy who wanted to kill him oh in fact there was a hit squad that came in, and the guy's name was uh, Gameson and Levinson, two names you would never think were hired guns. Just, that sounds
1: like a CPA firm.
0: I know. <laughs> I know. It's amazing, right? Yeah. And so, what happened was that Mickey found out about it, and he went and killed those guys himself.
1: Oh, my God. That's gosh. the kind of guy
0: he was. He went right into their apartment, killed them all, and, and left. And they brought him in for questioning, and again, just walked away from it. I mean, did
1: he, did he any? Did he do any major time for anything
0: he while did, he was out there? No, he did a lot of time in and out. But what, what finally got him was income tax evasion. That's how he got Capone. Yeah, and uh, mm. but prior to that, I mean, he was in and out of bullshit stuff. In fact, he, they say, was the mastermind. You know, uh, in 1947, that June afternoon when Bugsy took the shot. Oh. And which is interesting because uh, they just came from dinner and Bugsy was on the phone. Alan Smiley was sitting across from him and the shooting went off and there was like six shots and and Bugsy took all shots. But they picked up Mickey right away. And Mickey had an alibi and they let him go on that. But, I mean, this is all that just kept on going. Then his bodyguard... Uh, this guy Rothman, who was around him all the time, a big guy, he found he started like bragging about you know who he was working with and strong and this and the other, and he said to Mickey, he says, you know, Mickey, I, I should be making more money now, and Mickey says, why do you think that? He said, I don't know. He says, well, you're right, you don't know, <laughs> and he shot him. Oh. Shot him dead. Oh, okay. Casual. This is how nuts this was. That
1: was in lieu of a pay raise. Yeah. Wow.
0: But I mean, this is how crazy this guy was. I mean, I mean, it's it's any any weak chain, weak chain in his his group and all that. You just eliminate him. And but as you pointed out, Pat, L.A. had to be so on the take with all of this. But you know, it was before I mean what we have now as far as crime labs and fingerprints and all this. This guy really handled himself in a way that he was untouchable for the longest time. And he really thought that. But when he went to went to Alcatraz once for a short short bit on something, and uh they got a guy because he, he he had a job in, in the laundry, and they got a jaw a guy to climb the wall into, because all those buildings were secured separately, mm-hmm. they climbed over the wall, and they beat him so bad with a pipe, almost dead. And he lived and survived that. What? No, no this, I'm telling Just you. Just this
1: guy's invincible. I know That's it's insane. like
0: insane. It's, it's so. Yeah, he was six foot five before they beat him with the pipe. Yeah, no, he's the guy <laughs> was. Huh. Yeah. But, no, but no, no. I'm so, I mean, these are the some of the things that went on, and then the real war started. And one night, coming out of a restaurant on Sunset Boulevard, and I think it was Cyrano's, I, I, I forget, but he, him and his partner got shot. His partner was uh, killed. He got wounded, and again, he survived. Then he knew that he, the guy that was with him was the target. Wow. And he realized that somebody's after him. But with all so, that said, I mean... And that, they started that, the, the New York, I mean the New York police, the the police over there in LA called it the Sunset Sunset Strip Gang. Mm. That was a hit and it was a restaurant on that day. But you know, he was wounded in the shoulder and again, that was it. And to me, I, I can't believe that I had the opportunity to sit with him and the Daily News, you know, Said in the Daily News that his superiors were Mylansky and Frank Costello hmm. and the Chicago Syndicate because they were trying to tie it all together. But uh, Pat, as you pointed out, they must have been paying some kind of money off uh, with with uh, you know. In the, yeah, in yeah for, in I
1: can't the, tell you how corrupt that department was, and they they knew it. It's, it it wasn't any secret. You know who who saved the LAPD's reputation. Oh. I mean, the police department is a police department, right? and they had a bad reputation. Jack Webb, the TV show. Yeah, he he he. Uh, he started dragging that on the radio in the late 1940s, and uh, then it it went to television, and it really really didn't leave the air until the late 1980s. And he built an image of the LAPD as to be the super cops, and that was the image that Jack Webb basically created the police academy. Uh, the LAPD Police Academy has an entire building named after him and his shield that he carried on the show, badge
0: uh, uh, Oh yeah, they 14. sent it over the radio all the time when he called they, it
1: They uh, They retired his badge number that he carried on, uh, on the TV show, he was Sergeant Joe Friday huh. but he built the image up of the LAPD, they still love the guy he's been dead since the early 90s or the late 80s Wow But it was jack webb yeah that was a bad department yeah
0: that was no because you know i i used to sit around the 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 waldorf when some of these guys would come in to to visit from the west coast and everybody told stories about mickey cohen wow i I mean the guy was like a living legend but he was five foot five you're kidding that's all he he was. was
1: smaller than i was or I am. He was more than I am yeah.
0: now. Yeah, <laughs> we, we were all five for five once. You know that. <laughs>
1: that is true. At some point but in our did, lives. Uh, did he fade away? I mean, his, his era ended in the '60s. No.
0: Well, not only no. He died. He actually died in '73. I mean, not '73. No, he died in '60. Uh, 60...
1: Did you say '69 earlier? No, no, is that
0: no, what you told no, me? no, 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 no. Uh, I, 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 I Let me think of it. Cause I got so many dates in my head. No, but uh, he 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 died after they. I mean, after the eleventh attempt, they blew up his house, and after that, he was confined to a wheelchair and a cane, and that's how I really got to meet him because he'd come and sit down in in the in the Beverly Wilshire Hotel. He died in sixty nine. Mm. So, with with that said, I mean, but he was a legend, and then you know, I mean, again, like my mentor. I, I can't believe because Costello always told me stories about this guy. Hmm. So when I went out there the first time, and as we mentioned in the book, I went to, uh, before I got to Vegas, he told told me to go to LA and I met all these guys. But we'd sit in whole court with all these old timers sitting around. And and I mean, and, and Swifty, every morning he was dressed to the noise. Hmm. And the bellman had to bring him a fresh boutonniere every day. Once he called down, do you know why? Why? Because he would call down and tell him what color tie he was wearing. And the Brutonier the had a match.
1: Oh, my Every God. Every day, this guy. That's and, crazy. But that's
0: the old class guys. They were the best, you know. And, and as we all know, Costello, you know, I met him in 54, and I was with him till you know, 73 till he died. So these kind of things, I mean, you just don't even talk about unless you're a part of it and understand. Because mm-hmm. it would sound like a myth. I yeah. mean, the guy, he was crazy. So he had no competition? Well, he didn't realize who his competition was. He thought it was his partner, was Jack Dragner.
1: Well, he did, He was trying to be his competitor, but he never got anywhere, right? I mean, did did Jack Dragner
0: have his own people? I mean, who, who was he? Well, yeah, see, Jack Dragner had the rest of California. They were partners... But he didn't realize Jack was trying to eliminate him and take over when finally his house was blown up and he actually gave up. He was not what we call him walker. They didn't even have him then. He was walking with a cane and a lot of time being assisted just to sit and talk. But the, the story goes, and I got it from Alan Smiley, who I would trust with anything. He said he just, they, they said, you know, why don't you just retire and stop? Hmm. And, and he did. He did. Wow. And his wife was going to leave. I mean, they blew his house in half. I mean, but that's the kind of guy. The guy had like nine lives. Well, 11.
1: Yeah, right.
0: 11 attempts. 11 attempts. It was crazy. So what became of Jack Dragner? Jack Dragner just died of old age. Very successful in the trucking business. He, he was the head of uh, the the Teamsters in Los Angeles. Hello. Mm. Biggest garbage business in the world, Jack Dragner. But he just died, like, you know, 20 years ago, which, so, I mean, he, all these guys were born, you know, in 13, so he'd be a hundred and something years old mm-hmm. also. Okay, he, oh, he, Jack, Jack Dragner? Yeah. Says says here 1956. That he died?
1: Yeah, an American Mafia member in uh, Black Hand who was active in both Italy and the United States. Yeah, Jack Ignatius Dragner.
0: Well, I didn't know he died that late, but, I mean, he died... Yeah. And with yeah. the biggest, what would they say he owned in Beverly Hills? Uh,
1: Said so he was active in in California during the Prohibition era in the United States. Right. Thirty-one, he succeeded uh, Joseph Andrezone, boss of the LA crime family, after uh, own mysterious disappearance and death. Both James Reagan and Earl Warren dubbed Dragner the Capote of Los Angeles, and uh, Dragner remained the boss of Los Angeles crime uh, Los Angeles crime family. 1931 until his death in 1956. So he died in and 56? They have, a picture, they have a picture of him here. They're born in uh, Corleone, Sicily, by the way. Oh, that's wild. Huh? Yeah, but uh, look, I'm looking at his picture. He's scaring me. Oh, <laughs> this oh my gosh. mean-looking
0: dude. I, 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 maybe his son's then, because they got, their trucking company's still going. Do you know that? Oh, yeah? All right. I know. Yeah, he had all the garbage business out there. Well, the, the first thing he got was all the garbage business from the studios. Hmm. And that 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 you know that that's basically how a lot of businesses started here in New York City, by uh, carting and garbage, as you know. But the, the funniest thing is, his legend led me to a guy that I met later on, called Carl Cohen. And, and you know that guy's name?
1: No, I've never been with him.
0: Well, Carl, Carl Cohen came out of the. the uh, the, um, oh, the uh, out of out uh, of Cleveland, and and he he was with the uh, the Westfield gang out of Cleveland, and this guy another short guy, a street dog basically, and he he was uh, dealing and and a bookmaker there, and then went to Vegas, and uh, he was dealing for and and that that club, was controlled by that time. The, a guy called that, that we know from Vegas, Modaletz. Oh, him we know. Yeah, when Modaletz went to to uh, Vegas, they all moved together, and and uh, Call got the job at the El Rancho with uh, with Beldon Cattleman, which was a classic story in itself because with Beldon, he, he made him you know the casino boss and all that. And and one night, I mean, it was a crazy situation. Belden always liked to, you know... I don't know if you know who Belden Cattleman was. He's like six foot three, a beautiful guy. Mm. And the El Rancho was on the corner of the sands of a Sahara and Las Vegas Strip. And they had cabins around the main casino building. And most of your big performers started performing there long before the other hotels. And, um... Belden Cattleman one night said to uh, uh, Carl Cohen, he said, Carl, who's that guy with the sneakers and the jeans on? (laughs) And he's knob-hobbing with all the big players. He said, well, that's uh, Howard Hughes. He said, well, I think you should throw him out. He said, I ain't throwing him out. And he goes to throw a punch at Carl Cohen. Cohen steps aside and knocks him right out. This is a, a little guy, five four, knocks him out. He's laying on the floor, and he gets up and he says, "You're out of here!" And he throws him out. And as he's walking out the door, half the dealers walk with him, walk with him. Wow. <laughs> and a lot of high play, uh, high rollers. He gets a phone call. I don't know how you do this without cell phones. Yeah. And he was invited to go to the Sands Hotel and become the casino manager. And they gave him five points ownership. I mean, there's got to be something more to this story. Obviously. Yeah, and, and with me, you know, it's uh, the Sands Hotel and my, and my history there was, you know, it's 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 crazy because they don't just give five points to a hotel. And with all that happening, we, I mean, he, I mean, he created what we know today, and that's when the Rat Pack was there mm-hmm. and. Um, Everybody was, I mean, the performance that you could see there was insane. And um, he, he had uh, Louis Priman, Keeley Smith. I mean, this was really a happening place.
1: Wow. So when, let me ask you this. So when Mickey Cohen dies, he had a stranglehold. Obviously, he was the most powerful guy in, in L.A. And, and Southern California. He dies. Who picks up the reins?
0: Well, at that time, was Johnny Roselli and, and uh, Alan Smiley. That, and they had other crews that came in. But you know, it, when, when Mickey died, they made a truce with the LA Police Department because they were doing, having shootouts on Sunset Strip. Oh. So I don't know how they resolved it. I wasn't, you know, I knew nothing about that. That's not why I was out there. And uh, I was not privy to it. But the uh, from that understanding, you never had another crime boss of that image going on out there again. And you
1: know, La, the LAPD's claim to fame, and they they said this from the '40s and '50s is all bullshit that they would never allow organized crime in the LA area. Right? Huh. Yeah. No, LAPD was organized crime. Oh my right. Gosh. And, they, they, and they were working with Mickey Cohen and anybody else. Yeah. I tell you, if you wanted to be a thief, that was a time a good place to live and a good time to live
0: oh. in LA. Oh no! Oh no! I, mean, I was I mean, making money. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, to LA. I mean, I could never live in LA. I've been there, and it's, to me, it's like you know, it's they say good morning to you. I look up to make sure the sun's out. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's too it's, much to spread out. Yeah, and, and that's the whole thing, and yeah. that's why I think he, I mean, people are not going to believe what I'm about to say. The Bloods, the Bloods, gang. the gang bought American Arms in Burbank, in Bakersfield, rather. American Arms that make guns, yeah, they own the company. They bought a gun manufacturer. Yeah, it, this wasn't a gun shop; it was a manufacturer. No, manufacturing. American <laughs> Arms. They own it. Bakersfield. Oh my gosh! No, it's it's crazy. I mean, uh, but uh, it it was nuts times, and, and these are the times. Then you know when I got involved with uh, the Sands Hotel because that's I mean most people don't realize the Sands Hotel opened their showroom and it was called the Copa Room. Mm-hmm. And that's when they sent Jack and Entrada from the Copa Room here and had actual Copa girls that they hired, like they had a year, and they mimicked and mirrored everything that was going on there. Oh. And uh, Mickey was on top of his game. And um, not too long after that, I mean, it's a, it's a famous story. I mean, this guy must like knocking out people because... It was that night that, with Sinatra that uh, he went and uh, he went to to the pit and he said, I want more money, more credit, and they wouldn't give it to him. It was in 1955. And uh, with that, I mean, no, it wasn't 55. 55 is when he came over there, but mm. um, I, I got to look up that date because uh, Cohen just, you know, ran the whole place and sinatra wanted wanted a uh, more credit and they wouldn't give it to him so and and the, and the pit boss said you got to go ask carl so Call he went up to call and he said call he said I, I want more money he said frank we're not giving you any more money
1: huh. what do you want 25 grand
0: right yeah and he says what are you talking about he says you're not getting any more money and he called him a kite bastard I don't know, I call him in a guinea. Mm-hmm. And he said, would you call me? He's a kite bastard. And he punched Frank and knocked out his front teeth. Knocked his front teeth out. He's laying on the floor. And I love this, it's like a Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah. <laughs> and Frank is yelling from the floor. I'll make one call, you're a dead man. And this was before cell phones. Uh-huh. And he rolled, a, 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 he threw a, a roll of dimes to him. You just make all the calls you want. I'll be right here. Oh, my And gosh. I loved that move. It was so That's crazy. a great line. Well, I used it many years later cause because cell phones. <laughs> I always had a roll of knives. Everybody was always threatening me. I'll get you killed. I, <laughs> I said, yeah, use a roll of knives. Do what you got to do. But Frank got up that day and flew, flew out, got his teeth fixed, <laughs> and moved everybody, the whole Rat Pack, that week, to Caesar's palace, he made a better deal. Huh. But Mickey Cohen, I mean Carl Cohen, went on to stay there and become the general manager of the MGM property to show you the guy's juice this guy had. And they laughed at it and they told. Wow. And 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 he and basically uh, they told Sinatra, he said, You can't go around thinking you're a cowboy out here. Mm. And these guys are far above and more valuable to us than you I take it that night Frank had a couple of cocktails with him, right oh yeah it was after a second show I mean that's that's the the, the bad part about Sinatra you know he bad a bad drinker I mean if I were him I would never I mean first of all these kind of guys I mean it's 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 amazing the, the people that he had around him that made him think he was a mob guy Mm-hmm well, the Jilly Rizzo's, these guys weren't made guys. And no, the they the restaurant. Yeah, I owned a restaurant and supposedly saved Frank's life one night. I don't believe that story either. I, I believe that I know Honey King, his wife, was a madam for Frank's mother, Dolly, because they were midwives. Hmm. They were abortionists. And uh, that was Dolly's claim to fame. And she had a hook on everybody there was, in the mob and politics in in, in New Jersey. She was the head of the Democratic Party, his mother. Really, I never knew that. Oh no, and what's interesting too about that, she was like a truck driver. Her mouth, I mean, the F-bombs that came out of her mouth were ridiculous. Oh my! And even to today, right now, Tina Sinatra, Frank's oldest daughter, is just like the grandmother. The mouth on her, I mean, it's insane. Wow. Gina's got to be in her 70s now. Oh, yeah, I would think. Well, the yeah. mother's in her 90s. She's still alive. God bless her. But it, it's, 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 uh, but just to know, and I think that that example of Carl doing that Sinatra, mm-hmm. a lot of people realize he ain't who he thinks he is. <laughs> because the man, you know, that was it.
1: But, that, didn't, that, that didn't change his attitude, though,
0: did it? Oh, no. Well, nothing's going to change his attitude because his, his, his career kept going and going and going. I just find it so interesting that, you know, how... And, that, and that's why I'm, I'm, I'm always enamored uh, with the, the intelligence of the Meyer Lansky's and the Moe Dalitzes, And even Costello told me years ago, the Jews are the smartest businessmen in the world. he's there 13 at that time and that's the statistics may have changed he said "There's 13% of the population of Jews and they're the richest in the world
1: look look at my I mean he he had the whole all of organized crime in his head he never kept a note
0: right Wow and I mean that that's why you know when when uh, uh, Vito Genovese came out and he wanted his family back nobody realized Costello wanted to give him back his family. I still don't know, you know, how, how Chin on an elevator can miss a guy close range. Mm-hmm. And I think Chin realized where the move was going because, I don't know if you know, obviously after Vito left, Chin became the boss. And, and three weeks later after that, a shooting, and, and the cops asked who was it, and they had Chin locked up. Costello didn't make him on a on a, a lineup. Well, hmm. I wouldn't. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Right. But, but I think this was the make the whole move going on because that's when they set up Vito, scare and, him out. Yep. And that was it. Wow. But um, so that's my little tidbit of so, this week of.
1: So <laughs> one one question for me: How many people do you think Mickey Cohen killed total?
0: I would say thirty, forty people in L.A. Wow. You just get rid of you. Yeah. I mean, if if a guy parlayed horses at the end and it and it was too much money,
1: mm-hmm.
0: nobody saw the guy no more.
1: Wow, right, that's nuts.
0: Was, no, but he was a a crazy, crazy guy. Did he have kids? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> he, any, yeah. any boys? He had two boys actually, and they they Think became. Did they follow in his footsteps? No, they became actors.
1: Oh, did they? Yeah. Because of, course, A- of the know? connection to the studios. Would it be any, any
0: movies, that, anything we would know? I'd probably, we had to look it up, I'm sure. I think my memory serves, right. one was Allen and Steven. But they were, they were obviously Cohen's uh-huh. But his connections with the Xanax and everybody else. They got them in. Yeah. Huh. yeah but, but they wouldn't
1: be acting under the name of Cohen, I assume.
0: I, I think they would be. Yeah? I don't know why. But, I, I mean, again, I don't think anybody got an Academy Award. Mm. So I don't know where, you know, we looking they got. at that kind of talent.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. but, uh, All right.
0: Well, interesting. interesting. Very style. interesting. Yeah. So now, um, again, we're going to go to the mailbag. And after the mailbag, remember, come back to the show next Wednesday night. <laughs> we're going to come looking for you. If we don't, you know, we're going to know if you're watching. Yeah, we have friends in high places. Yeah. Should we oh, trust yes. yes.
1: Everyone be careful. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, we love you all, and God bless you all. And thank you for tuning in, man.
1: Yes. All right. Okay, guys, good night. All right, good, good night, night, guys. Good night. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. My name is Megan Horan. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Regarding Gianni's motivational speaking appearances, you can visit his website, giannirusso.com. You can also visit amazon.com for a listing of books Patrick Picciarelli has written. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather Podcast, as well as leave us a review on iTunes. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails and voicemails. Good night.